Welcome back to Kingdom Cast. It's your host, Bad Luck Chuck. We are back at it again for another week. Uh, over to the top right hand corner is my guy, Country. And over to the bottom is my guy, Boogie. Um, as everyone knows, the training camp schedule has officially been released for Kansas City Chiefs. Fans have been anxious to get back to St. Joe. Um, it's been a year and some change. You know, due to the unfortunate circumstances, we weren't able to flex in our Super Bowl champions gear. But it's all good. Um, we're back at it, and uh, we'll get to that here in a second. But uh, we got to get this breaking news out the way. As everyone knows, earlier in the week, uh, Frank Clark got caught with the Uzi, the strap, the blicky, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was in a duffel bag. Uh, it was just a regular traffic stop. Uh, got pulled over. Um, leaves in Cali, whatever. And um, he got taken to jail. But but for but it's still under investigation and everything. Uh, the latest we heard is that um, the weapon belongs to his security. So. Um, allegedly, yeah, allegedly. So, hopefully, moving forward, there's some good news that come out of it. Um, the bad part about it is, uh, it's the second time that he done got uh, caught to this situation, this similar situation in the offseason. So, um, want to get your guys' opinions on it, man. Um, where I want to start, I mean, it's kind of hard to judge, you know, because. In L.A., well, I've been hearing that L.A. got, like, strict gun laws. I ain't never even been to L.A., but apparently they don't play about their guns or whatever. I I get why you have to have a gun, especially, like, Frank Clark. Um, man, like, especially in L.A., like, I get why you have to protect yourself. But I don't know, like, two random traffic stops – you know what I'm saying? It sounds kind of fishy to me, but a uh, big black guy with crazy hair in a Lambo truck. Yeah, you got to be careful riding around like that. You know what I'm saying? So I ain't judging him. I ain't mad at him either. I'm riding with him on it, but you just can't get caught up like that, bro. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah, you, you know, I'm like, I, I like what Chris Carter said, man. Keep you a fall guy, man. You got to do it. Keep your fall guy, man. He ain't doing no crime or nothing. I mean, the type of gun, I guess. But get somebody to ride with you, bro. Yeah, I think he got that under control, man. Um, I mean, by the looks of it, allegedly. So, um, but, yeah, man, like, I didn't know he was riding around the Lamborghini truck, first of all. That's how you know he's cast out bread. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> but second of all, man. Hey, he need yeah. protection for a car like that, Chuck. Come on. Well, yeah, absolutely. But thing is, though, like, I wish he would have just checked to see if the duffel bag was closed. You know what I mean? Just in case the officers want to try him with that. But my thing is this, like, why are the officers even searching them anyway? Like, did Frank allow them to search the car or what? I just, I just curious to see how that entire ordeal was, man. Well, he had violated a traffic code, whatever that means. So, Either his license plate wasn't right, his tent was too dark, he had his music too loud, it's something, you know what I'm saying? Which is, you know, coming from where we come from, bro, like, you know how it is sometimes. But, I mean, you just got to ride smart. Yeah, you, you just got to ride smart, man, you know. And when you ride dirty like that, bro, it's no speed, it's no nothing like that, you know. You just got to. 
don't know. It's hard to speak on because we don't really know none of the facts, bro. Like, we just know he got pulled over for some reason. He had, uh, oh, man, he tried to talk about my hat. No, nah, bro, this official, bro. It's official like a whistle, dog. This is you, This is the gas station joint. <laughs> yeah, no, dog. No, Slim. <laughs> no, nah, this ain't no gas station joint. I wouldn't do you like that, bro. I wouldn't even wear that for real. Um, I mean, you just gotta be. You just gotta be more careful and more aware of your surroundings, and you do gotta protect yourself, bro. Like. I heard Frank is not, he not no sucker. So he wearing his jewelry. He he in a Lambo truck. You you gotta protect yourself in them situations. Now, I would prefer you had a security guard sitting with you that had it. And bro, let's be honest. Is it crazy because it's it was a Uzi? Like if it was like a regular, <laughs> if it was like a nine, nobody would be like, ah, if it was like a Glock. You'd be like, yo, man, he got caught with the heater on. But an Uzi, the Uzi sound crazy, bro. That just make it sound. <laughs> he a legend, man. Yeah. <laughs> it is fitted, though. Yeah, it's fitted, bro. Hey, so what y'all think? I seen what Chuck was talking about already. I know what he think. But what you think about people saying this is a way to get out that contract, though? Man, I was I was mad about that, man. I'm like, come on, y'all. Like, why 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 is that the first thing that comes to y'all minds, man? When he gets caught up like that, like like come on, y'all. Like, what I've learned from the previous Chiefs off seasons is to let stuff play out and see how it goes, man. Everybody want to jump to conclusions and stuff, man. It's ridiculous. And like, yeah, I get it. He hasn't lived up to the contract numbers wise, production wise, overall, but. You know, the offseason moves that the Chiefs have made, I mean, it's going to help them get back to being that guy that's, get, that gets double-digit sacks or, you know, force a few fumbles and all that stuff. So it was just classless by a lot of the Chiefs fans. Man, you know we're in the social media area, bro, so everything is quick. You know what I'm saying? Your response got to be quick, and you got to respond with fury and rage, like, yo, cut it. It's like, dang, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let it play out first. You know what I'm saying? We don't even know exactly what he did, but you know how fans is, bro. We we used to be fans. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when he was younger, yeah, we um, we had we overreacted to some things here and there. But, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I've learned from that. And just to learn to let stuff play out, because some of this stuff is just, is just fishy. It's tricky, you know what I mean? Because, like, we yeah. only know, like, the little bit. When, when the headline first come out, you know what I mean? We just got to wait for more details to come out, you know? And we don't know how long that takes in these situations. Yeah. Yo, how did that Dwayne Bowles situation play out? Did he get suspended for that? Um, you remember the Dwayne Bowles Sonic thing? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it two games? He got suspended. He missed a game for that. He had, like, weed on him. Yeah. Yep. He had a burner on him, too, though, didn't he? No. I forgot yeah. So uh, I ain't gonna put that right. Uh, I don't know about yeah, that. I ain't gonna put that on that. Because, you know what I'm saying? But with some weed, bro. No. Yeah, it was just weed. Okay. Yeah, I just remember the weed. Going to Sonic. So hey man, but weed ain't even as bad as it used to be. Like they ain't even know that's like a slap on the wrist now, you know. So it should be. I mean, I think he he got a I think Frank got a good lawyer. 
He got money. Pleaded down to a misdemeanor. You get a fine. Make sure your security got your heat on you, bro. Not you. Put the heat on your security and, and then ride like that, bro. Ride legal, man. We don't need no more. We don't need – we already short at defensive end. We don't need to lose Frank. Yeah, and like I was, and I was, and I was listening to, uh, I was listening to Carrington's little short podcast he does on YouTube. Uh, him and uh, Matt Matt Bergami, he they uh, discussed the situation and like he brought up, you know, the Chiefs need to for sure sure up the defensive line. And even before this incident, I said I think the Chiefs need to address the defensive line anyway. So, I mean, I know Melvin Ingram brought up many times on this show. And you know, Everson Griffin, but we don't know. He might be leaning towards retirement. But there are some guys out there, uh, Justin Houston, um, maybe as a reunion. But like, like I said, the Chiefs needed to beef up the defensive line even more, regardless, because you definitely want a great front seven if you want to get back to the bowl, or at least good, at least a good front seven. If we brought back Justin Houston, I would be shocked because I don't think Justin really messed with the front office. Um, but I don't know if that was like Dorsey or if that was like Beach. You know what I'm saying? Things might have changed. He's been gone for, what, two years, two, three years? Yeah. So things might have changed. And he yeah, might be looking for a job. You know what I'm saying? But I'd be shocked if we brought Justin Houston in. I would love to is, see it, though. If we got Justin Houston, then we would probably be getting rid of Frank Clark because they're moving Chris Jones to DN, right? Well, I don't and, know if that's permanent. I thought they was just like moving them around in like certain situations. Yeah, like, like spot dude. Maybe. But it might it's, be permanent though. You never it know. Sound it sounds like it'll be permanent to me. That's interesting. It's permanent. That's interesting. I mean, it depends on how Reed play out. If Reed is dominating, you got Reed and not the inside, you kick Jones to the outside. And if he getting things done, he should be a beast out there like who can hold him inside, let alone outside in space? So, I mean, we'll see how it works. Like, we talk about training camp today. That, that'll that be something to watch to see how how many times he line up outside and what he do. Slim guy. Uh, yeah, Slim. You don't think you have to drop weight a bit to permanently play in? Uh, I, I, I think, think he's explosive enough. Yeah. yeah, I think he's still pretty explosive. Yeah, he carries his weight well. You know what right. I'm saying? I, maybe, though. Maybe if he lose 10, 20, maybe that'll give him some, some more speed out there. But I don't want him to lose his first step, though. Yeah, true. Maybe we That's should bring the, D4 back. Come on, don't say nah, that. Didn't did you see them comments? <laughs> didn't Kyle Shanahan say he hope he played this year? Nah, uh, not to laugh at that, but. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, D4 had a lot of potential, bro. He just never reached it, bro. And and then injuries prevented him from reaching it. Like so that's kind of sad, bro. It's tragedy. I was yeah. outside. You said what? Did he pause? Did he freeze? Oh shoot. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Thunderstorm at Boogie. <laughs> oh, there he is. I'm good. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get it. Let's let's not keep our special guest waiting for much longer. Um, as he trains. Drum roll. 
Um, so, I'd like to introduce um, a former 10-year NFL veteran. Uh, he played for the Washington football team. We can't call the Redskins no more. The football team, Philadelphia Eagles, Arkansas City Chiefs, and the Houston Texans. Um, he's a co-host of Defending the Kingdom. Um, he's also worked on the sidelines with BJ Kissel before, do a little pre-game stuff. So I'd like to bring on Mr. Barbershop Sean, a.k.a. Sean Barber, the Kingdom cast this week. Yes, sir. How you doing, Sean? How you doing this evening? All right, all right. Let me see that video. I got to make sure I'm looking good and everything is going right. All right. Sorry about the uh, background, man. My first computer all set up with the Chiefs thing that went down, I think, over the last week or so. My kids got on there and changed all my passwords. <laughs> got all my system stuff going. There's all kind of craziness on there, so I just said bump it. So now I'm on, I'm on my wife's computer in the office. So it don't it don't look as kingdom uh, uh, friendly as it used to do. So it's just gonna have to do until the next time. The next time I'm invited to get on, I'm gonna do the audio and the mic check. I'm gonna have all that right, and then we're gonna really throw it down. So so next time, next time you gonna get the whole full shebang. I see the vision board in the back. I'm digging it. Oh no, we got the vision board. The vision board is serious. <laughs> Got five boys and a girl in this house. All these young men and women. We are we are growth mindset out the wazoo. Everybody is talking about future five year, ten year plans. Uh, what can we do from an educational and experienced athletic? Uh, what can we introduce them to that they haven't been introduced before? Want to get them fully involved, fully involved, well traveled, well versed, all that. So, yeah, that's what's up. I like that. I heard some stuff, some discussion about Frank Clark, what the Chiefs going to do. Uh, 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 so, so do you think that people are reacting the way they are because he had an Uzi in the car? <laughs> well, I mean, was it, 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 it wasn't like it was a missile launcher. I mean, I can think of, I can think of about ten, 10 things that could have been worse than an Uzi. I mean, like Uzi got small bullets, man. I, I, you know, I grew up in the hood in Richmond, Virginia. I remember somebody shooting me with an Uzi in a 45, 45, stop you in your tracks. I can keep on going after little Uzi shots. I can keep on going after that. So uh, that, he, he, he was just trying to protect himself. Obviously, at the end of the day, man, we we all as players, man. We, we I've been around a long time, man. I've seen guys, you know, carry stuff on them. I've seen guys that got stuff locked up in the trunks. Um, I mean, all, all the different gamers, right? From guys that like myself, like I'm anti, I don't touch guns. I don't want nothing to do with them. Uh, I got hurt as a young kid messing with a gun and that was it. That was it for me. Um, so I preach just, you know, just leave them alone. But I understand some other guys have affinity for them. They love to go to the shooting range. Um, it's a way to, for them to have an outlet of release. Um, now, I don't know nobody taking the Uzi to the shooting range, but that might be a different, you know, that's a whole different topic. So I don't, I don't, I think his, his, his statement is that it wasn't his. So um, it was, you know, it belongs to somebody else. I know in my vehicle, I, like I said, I got a bunch of kids. There's stuff always left in my car. There's a lot of stuff in my car that ain't mine. But as we know, um, the responsibility comes on the driver, whoever owns the car. A lot of times, whatever's in that car, um, you know, the, the consequences kind of fall on your shoulders. So. Um, whatever, whatever happens from it, there'll be a lesson learned. Hopefully, um, the league doesn't um, suspend them for any um, for any games. Yeah, yeah. I had my daddy gonna kill me if you ever see this. 
I, I was playing with my daddy gun, and I ain't know 380s that had no safety on it. So I was and like that. And I really almost pulled the trigger on it. But I realized it didn't have no safety on it. I put it back. I was like, let me, and that was the last time I ever played with a gun. Like, for real. Like, it, it's that serious. And if you mess up, bro, you don't know what you're doing. You can really, really hurt yourself, for real. You can kill yourself. Bottom line, period. So, yeah, I don't play with guns either. So, I don't like you, man. I don't play. Yeah, I only mess with BB guns, man. <laughs> what you out there shooting squirrels and rabbits and stuff? <laughs> you got a guard, guard in the back. You trying to keep them? You trying to keep the raccoons and stuff out your garden? Nah, nah. Actually, I, this is when I was little, man. Uh, was me and uh, my second oldest brother. We was uh, we trying to shoot at the beer cans, empty beer cans. Whoever shot the beer can first, you know, playing little games like that. So that's the only time I mess with it. <laughs> yeah. Guns, guns. Yeah, everybody had those growing up. So it is what it is, man. I, I, again, I just so. Hope people don't blow it out of, out, of, out of proportion. Obviously, you know, it wasn't a discharge firearm. It was just, I mean, obviously everybody, the, the stigma with those weapons, um, it, it just it just ain't the time and place for those things right now in this, in this climate. So whatever you can do as a, as a, as a current player, man, to keep your name out of the, the, the headlines, uh, that's a good thing. Ain't no, ain't no positive uh, press going on right now between now and that first preseason game. So you want to just keep 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 your head low, go to work, start chopping the wood, get, get, get your you know practicing, get your lifting the weights, get yourself ready for the season, uh, keep your name out them headlines. Yeah, it's like Herm Edwards say, "Don't be on done and that, done and that." Like this is the worst time. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, we don't need nobody on Sports Center at all, bro. In a negative <laughs> only when they make so, only when we making plays. So yeah. But yeah. So speaking of training camp, we just got the, the schedule released. Uh we finally get back to St. Joe. I know the fans been waiting on that. I know you probably personally been waiting on that. You know, um you've been on a variety of teams with a variety of coaches. Who had the hardest training camp for you? Oh, oh no doubt. Andy Reid. And Andy Reid, uh we we went live twice a day. We call it a special cat. The special cat period was just. I mean, it's fully you fully pad it up, strap up, take them down to the ground. Uh, you moving the ball. Um, it, it's, it's 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 just like live football. And uh, you know they start a drive. If you want if you want to get off the field, then you got to stop the offense from getting the first down. Um, if they get into the red zone, then they keep on going until they score it, whether it's a field goal or a, a touchdown. So. Um, those special cat periods are real, and uh, in training camp, before you know, obviously I'm I'm a, I'm a '93 to 2007, so I, I'm I'm playing the years before we had all the uh, extra eyes and all the extra provisions, and the, you can't go two days in a row. You can only go one padded, uh, one padded day, and you can't practice more than three times in four days. So all these new rules that that came after I played, so. Uh, I know Andy, we had a thing where you came in and I think we actually had like seven padded practices in the first four days. So it was like padded, 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 uh, shells, padded. Uh, in the first like three days of practice to uh, just set the mindset, set your, I mean, just get you right. Um, but we always had a shorter training camp. So he practiced you hard and long, 
but he didn't do the whole like 35 days. And those at some point there was a, a, a camp because that fifth preseason game, there were some people that went to camp a week early. And so they was in camp almost 40 days. Um, I think near the end of my career when they started that hall of fame preseason game. So it was those two teams that would go, go to camp early. Uh, but Andy always has enjoyed having a short, you know, three week, 20 some day camp. Uh, but it was always an intense, it got you ready to play. It got you ready for what you was going to see during the season. And so he's, I mean, you, you, you can tell by his career, he's always been a, a coach that comes out the block fast. His September record is probably uh, um, second to none because he, he, he works the players in training camp and have them ready to go um, right, right in week one. And so uh, most of the players probably say, yeah, Andy has a tough training camp, but it's short. So. So he had you ready for the season. Is there was there a training camp that had you beat down before the season even started? No, nah, I mean maybe some players, man. Like so, so to know me, like uh, my idol growing up was Jerry Rice. And so Jerry Rice was the guy who held his head on staying in condition basically eleven months out of the year. Right after the Super Bowl, he take like a three week, let his body heal, and then he's back on the bike back training while everybody else was trying to take two, three months off, he was back working. So he never got out of shape his entire, whatever, 15, 17 year career. And so idolizing that, that man, as I grew up, I tried to try to emulate that same thing. So um, even, even with the bumps and bruises of the season, the, the sore ankles, the sore knees and all that, man, after about three weeks of taking off, I just got myself back into shape. And so by the time training camp came, um, I was a, I was always kind of peaking on my performance, peaking on my conditioning. Um, I did play with a few guys that used training camp the first like six, seven days as a way to get in shape. Uh, there's a few linemen that I'm, I'm not going to say their name, but we, we had a few offensive linemen that would come in, um, a few donuts thick of, of, of overweight and stuff. And so they would use that first, you know, five days to uh, uh, kind of, you know, pair off a little of that baby fat and a little of that extra steak. Steak and potatoes, that you know, that all that kind of stuff they was doing. Uh, but they was using that, you know, that, that training camp to get them in shape. And so some, maybe some of those guys felt it. But, man, I was uh, – I look forward to a hard training camp. I look forward to showing that because I use training camp as a way to separate myself from other players. And so being a young guy that came out, I'm a fourth-round pick out of a small school, um, training camp was a way for me to showcase to the coaches that I was serious about this. This was my career. Like, I was, I was passionate about it. And so coming into camp ready – in shape, being able to run all day, go through two days, stay after, lift weights, and after that, go to the jug machine and then run a couple of wind sprints while everybody else is, you know, they, they get the, the camp legs. They start walking around a little slow and the legs feeling heavy. If you if you still got to bounce your step, man, you show those coaches right off that you were serious. And uh, that was the way I was – I use that every year as a way to separate myself from other guys in the league. So, so you – you came in with a chip on your shoulder, ready to prove, ready. It was you against the world. Oh, always, man. Like, I mean, listen, University of Richmond, I got stories to tell you, man. I, I know going into the senior bowl, um, going into the combine, I was like, I was I was always on that B list. So they invite 300 people to the combine. I was like 300 and number 11. So I had to wait for like 12 people to decline or say they weren't going to, you know, participate in the combine for me to get invited to the combine. So, yeah, I had a chip on my shoulder coming out with that. Um, the, the, the senior bowl, um, you know, they sent out all their invites. I wasn't in the first round of invites. 
The only reason I got invited because one of my uh, one of the assistant coaches at Richmond knew somebody at a bigger program and he knew somebody that was a scout for the Redskins and he was able to put my name into like a, 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 a you know, alternate category. And if enough proteins hatch in this alternate category, then they would send you a conditional invitation, which means the same thing. There had to be a few guys decline the invite for me to get invited. So, I, yeah, I came into both of those situations with a chip on my shoulder trying to sh show them that it didn't really matter that Division One, I, Division Two, One AA, whatever they wanted to call it, and they're trying to use your, uh, they say, the level of competition. Yeah, well, you know, he made plays, um, but he didn't have to go against the top offensive linemen. He made plays on the ball, but he didn't have to go against the best running backs in the country or the best wide receivers. He didn't have to face the best quarterbacks. Well, if you looked at my film, it, like, it was more about making being an athlete, making plays. And so it didn't matter who was on the other side. Like I was making plays on the ball. It's the same size ball. The size of the field was the same, you know, going sideline to sideline, stripping the ball out, making plays, picking up pick sixes and all that. Like, you know, I, I didn't think that any of that mattered when it came to no, no, no level of competition. I was out there trying to make plays. Yeah, for sure. And those guys are going to take your head off too. So like, the, the the level uh, of violence didn't change just because you were in a smaller school. Like, they still trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do, you know? Exactly. And, and you know what? You find a lot of guys, they talk about the level of competition. Yeah, we don't have the five-star guys coming out of high school, but a lot of the guys like myself, when, when, you, when you're in your, your fourth, fifth year uh, playing 1AA and you got that edge on your shoulder, like, you out there knowing you got to show up every game. Like, you can't handle bad games. So the pressure on the one double A guys, um, like Brian Westbrook coming out of Villanova, um, uh, 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 Dexter Coakley coming out of App State, um, John Mobley coming out of Cutstown. Um, I mean, I could you know a handful of guys each year come out of one uh, double um, A programs, and they, they they have the opportunity to, to make it in this league and have a time to shine. They don't take anything for granted. Like every day. Every year of my career, I took it as like I was a rookie. I was I was I was gonna be the fifty-fourth guy. I needed to like get three or four guys cut in order for me to make a roster spot. Even when I was a starter, my mindset was like I'm not safe. And so somewhere on this training camp, I'm gonna embarrass a running back, a fullback, uh, a tight end, I'm gonna embarrass a guard or a lineman who don't who, who didn't come ready to practice today, right? I'm gonna put him on his backside, I'm gonna turtle him, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something to show like he don't belong here because the, the more guys I show don't belong here made that, that last seat at the table available for me to make the team. And that's the mentality I had every year, all 10 years. Like I'm going to, I'm going to show that somebody don't supposed to be here because I'm supposed to be here. So I don't, I don't know if guys got that mentality no more, man. It's a lot of like buddy, buddy, chummy, you know, like everybody on the team want to be there. And it's a lot of like that kind of stuff going on. It's, it's 90 guys going to camp, but only 53 guys make the active roster. I know they've extended the uh, practice squad to, I think, 10 people. So that's still 63. There's 27 guys going to camp that ain't going to have a – like, I ain't one of the 27. Nope. Not today. Not this year. And I took that mentality every year. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so this leads me to that point. This leads, this leads me to this question uh, since you brought that up, Sean. So uh, what do you think about the, the NFL – I uh, want to say with the Reese Senior Bowl uh, collaborating with the HBCUs to uh, to bring out a bowl game for future NFL processes coming out of HBCUs. 
Man, I mean, I mean, personally, I just think the opportunities need to be more like just diverse. You know, obviously, everybody knows that Alabama's gonna have what twenty guys drafted a year, right? Like, like they're starting, the whole starting defense gonna go, the whole starting offense gonna go, and so if like why why are the guys from Alabama taking up combine spots? Like, like you, you like you, you already know those guys. You know you're gonna like them. Like the combine to me should be. Man, the majority of guys at the combine should be the guys coming from one double A, Division two, smaller programs, because they, they they got something to again, they got something to prove. They got something that you ain't gonna see on the, the, the ten games. Alabama's playing in the SEC and then they go through the national championship run versus Clemson and and and, and, and all and all these other like if you don't know that, that guy can play football and you need to bring him to Indianapolis over the weekend to prove like that's, to me, that's wasting the butt. Like, like have them come in, have them do interviews. But as far as the guys actually on the field showcasing their skills and abilities and all that, man, the majority of those things need to be the, uh, you know, the guys you, you're looking at is like second, third, fourth, late round picks because those are the guys that you really, you know, have a problem differentiating yourself from. But man, there ain't nobody gonna ever ask me. And I think part of that whole combine thing is more of a money grab anyway. You know they they want to use it to market, you know the, the next stars of the NFL, whatever, get, get certain names out there and stuff. So maybe from a money standpoint, they can they can promote or ask for more money if it's the, you know, the, the Alabama starting, you know, crew and the Clemson's guys and the, the guys from these big programs. But um, so I do I, I like the fact that that uh, that, that that bowl game is going to be used for the HBCs, um, and, and hopefully they try to find some other. Uh, venues, so it's not just one bowl game. I mean, you know, of the, I think last time I heard it was almost 100 bowl games at the end of the year. I think they probably could maybe pick 10 of them for the HBCUs or something like that, or 15 of them or something like that. Like, let's showcase these guys, give them opportunity, put them on the same playing field, man. I, I bet those guys will show up and show out if given opportunity. I wish on that because, like, there have been many great NFL players throughout the NFL history have come from HBCUs. Like, you know, you mentioned Jerry Rice. You got Steve McNair, um, Doug Williams, uh, Antoine Bethea, um, so Michael Strahan. I mean, there's many, many NFL players that have had great careers in the NFL, and they just got that opportunity. And, like, it's just I, I just feel like, you know, the HBCU bowl now um, is definitely giving them more opportunities because – some people just forget, like, there have been many great players that have played the, the NFL, played in the NFL that have come from these schools. So I'm pretty much with yeah. it. So, and also, also, I wanted to say, like, um, you get a guy like Trevor Lawrence, he's not going to throw at the combine. Why we can't get that spot to somebody else? You come in, you can just come in and measure him and weigh him and all that stuff and, and get his uh, – is uh medicals, but why can't I invite another quarterback from a smaller school or somebody that doesn't have that 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 spotlight on them and invite them to throw? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I totally agree with that. Like it's a lot of people that's going, they not participating in all the drills, they get hurt, they not they not trying to hurt themselves, they not even playing in bowl games anymore. Like so yeah, get that spotlight to somebody else, man. They need it. You never know. You could you could be a superstar in the making that y'all nobody looked at because he didn't go to the right school. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, I went to the University of Richmond, so I didn't go to HBCU. But 
I realize even, I mean, I, I know things have changed a lot since I've been, I, I had a chance to, you know, come out as a senior and get wooed by, you know, some of the different schools. But to me, it came down to, it was just a purely the football facilities and the resources. And so going to Richmond, man, it was a beautiful stadium. Uh, we talked about the locker rooms look great, this and this and that. Um, and then, when, you know, the schools I went to to try to go, you know, the Virginia States and the Hamptons of the world and the Howards, when I went there, it was just the, the equipment wasn't up to the, to the same level. And so if I'm saying, I mean, I'm going to be here for four or five seasons playing and be a part of this team, be a part of this organization. Now I want the best of the best. You know, I want to be putting on the, the flyers here and be, have access to all the new stuff. And it looked like they, you know, uh, refurbishing helmets every year and all that. And other schools, are, they got three, four sets of helmets and stuff like that. So as an athlete, uh, that was my mindset coming out. But I know that the playing field has got a lot more closer. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, Deion Sanders at you know Jacksonville State. I'm looking at the, the different programs, man. These HBCUs, they're playing facilities, all turf fields, beautiful stadiums. Everybody's having the Under Armour, the Nike, and Adidas um, uniforms. And so, I mean, everything now is kind of on the same playing field. And I think that's why you're getting a lot more uh, four- and five-star kids that are saying, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and go to this HBCU Um you know, all it, all it takes is a handful, man. You take a handful of guys from the same area, you really want to make their, 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 uh, their HBCU in their area stand out, uh, the Alabama States of the world or whatever, um, they can do it, man. All it takes a handful of guys to really change the program around. So um, I, I take my hats off to all the guys that go out there and support um, historic universities and colleges. Yeah. Yeah, Dion's doing good, man. He's bringing a lot of money, a lot of attention down to that area, uh, Jackson State. Like, all the people I know from Jackson is happy for them. <laughs> so, it's the, I think, uh, isn't Eddie George a coach at uh, Tennessee State or something like that? Middle middle something? Yeah, yeah. I, think he did. I saw Eddie George took a job. Um, and then there was another cat that just took a job today. I saw it on Twitter, but I, I, uh, running back. Um, I can't remember his name, but just, just got hired someplace. Um, yeah, I yeah can't that's remember. dope. I saw the feeder. Hey, so, so, you, so, go ahead, bud. Hey, Sean, what, what made you sign with the Chiefs? So, when I came out, man, I went to the University of Richmond. I went to Redskins. I played three seasons for the Redskins. Man, I tore my knee up. Right, I had, a, had an uh, ACL tear, and the Redskins. When I was hurt, it's like I mean, it's, it's it's business is business. So, a team will tell you you their guy, you are you are future. And then the second you get hurt, they're gonna be, they're gonna try to get you on the cheap. So they try to they wanted to sign me to like a five year deal, but they was gonna use my injury to like try to get me at like a you know a smaller salary. But they knew they knew they wanted me to be, be, be their will linebacker, and they knew that you know I'm gonna come back from the injury. But they just wanted to try to get me locked in. So I went ahead and played a one year deal, went to Philly. Uh, at the time, you know this Jim Johnson defense was ultra aggressive. It was you know Brian Dawkins, you know uh, just Play uh, uh, Troy Richards, Troy, Troy Vincent, uh, Al Harris, man, we had uh, uh, Javon Curse, uh, man, we just had, I mean, it was a freakishly aggressive defense. And coming back off of a knee surgery, I figured that was be the best way to show that I'm back. I got my athleticism and all that back. So, boom, I go play for Philly for one year. Um, and when I was there, that last game in the playoffs, I twisted my ankle, had a high ankle sprain. And so they wanted to uh, re-sign me back the same thing. Like, hey, you know, we don't value the linebacker position. We're about pass rushers and corners. But we would love to have you back at this set, you know, price. 
So at that time, I think Marshall Falk was tearing up the lead, right? Marshall Falk was a running back coming out of the backfield. All of those standard 240 linebackers couldn't stay with him. So they were saying, Barbara, you need to come out and come to Kansas City. We envision you being like the next Derrick Brooks, you know, a, a smaller linebacker. We can play too deep, have you run the center. We can put you man on man with the Marshall Fox, the Edgen James of the world. Because those are the two cast that was just, they was ripping everybody a new one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, coming out of yeah. the backfield, just always a mismatch. So I came out here to Kansas City, man, and Coach Ramil, uh, Greg Robinson was thinking the defensive uh, coordinator at the time. But it was mostly Coach Ramil, man. He, uh, I got out of here, Trent Green was the quarterback. And I played with Trent in Washington. And so Trent was a big, you know, he had a lot to do with me coming out here, uh, vouching for my athleticism. He saw me every day in practice and everything, uh, my work ethic and everything like that. So he thought I'd be really valuable coming to this program. Um, then once I got out here, man, and uh, I mean, like you said, man, Coach Ramil, like he, run, he runs the program the right way. Um, it's all family, faith orientated. Uh, it was easy to like eliminate a lot of distractions when you're out here in Kansas City because, you know, it's not like the coast. You, you don't get the big media markets like, Power out of me, whatever you want to call it, the, just the, 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 the like vultures of fans and all, like you can go to the store and be left alone. You can go to the restaurant and be left alone. And at the time, I only had, I had, I had one kid at the time, so uh, we looked at this area. Got me a house, man. I, I, I really enjoyed the, the, uh, the Blue Valley School District and everything. And so I started thinking like family, like beyond football, uh, where do I want to, you know, raise my family, my kids and stuff. And you know, right in the middle of the U.S., man, like it just seemed like. I don't know if y'all remember, people were talking about fault lines and Florida, California falling off into the ocean. And, you, know, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was like it was like wherever you was at on the coast, like it was like a, you know what, the scientists are saying that that, that those coastal areas might be falling off on the fault line. One thing <laughs> and uh, all that real estate going to go. So I said, man, I'm going to stay right in the middle of everything. I figure if anybody attacked the USA, they would be aiming for the coast first, and so we'd be safe in the U.S. So I was thinking about all that that kind of stuff, man. And so me and my wife got married, so I raised it. So I got five boys and a girl now. And so uh, once once I got to Kansas, like I said, it was it was more of football mentality first. Um, but it was such a blessing once I got here and got to meet the team. Got to, you know, like I said, Coach Vermeil is an amazing coach. He definitely sets an environment for people to learn. Man, we still you know one thing I, I'm, I'm 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 kicking myself. Once a year, when the football season starts off, I always have to like pinch myself because I still can't believe we didn't win the championship in 2003. Uh, I clearly think we was the best team in the league that year, man. We just, I mean, we ran into the Peyton Manning buzz. So uh, he did it to a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, it just, you know, I don't know, man. It just, I, I kind of, every time I, I hear his voice, man, I get a little, uh, something about me want to choke that joke out a little bit. <laughs> All stuff and all that changing the plays, man. I always felt like defensively, he kind of had you like you know had, had you like one arm behind your back because he would always kind of figure out the coverage and then change the play. And you look into the sideline and like, come on, coach, let us let us change the defense one time. Let, and they said, like, no, just stick with it, stick with it. And I'm like, he already got it figured out. Like he already know where he can go. Like we we sitting ducks out here. Um, and so that's not a good feeling, you know, defensively when you feel like the the, the offense is checking into plays that are going to, like, take advantage of your weakness, and you can't do nothing about it, man. That, that's uh, it's very disheartening. Uh, but, again, we had a great season that year, man, going 13-3. and three. Um, We lost a, you know, obviously lost to Peyton Manning. 
I don't say we lost to the Colts because I don't think the Colts beat us. I think Peyton Manning beat us. Uh, <laughs> I'm sort of a single person. There was a level uh, 53 on the on one in the one one. He <laughs> was a beast. Yeah, so, man. I'm glad you talking about that game. I was gonna ask you a question about the echo. Thing. You echoing, Chuck? I am. You gotta look at mean echo, bro. Um, well, yeah. So all those losses to the coast. I so how happy were you when uh, Pat led us to victory? Over? Was that Pat that led us to victory over Indianapolis? Finally, that was like the first playoff win, right? Was it? Oh, was it there or was it Houston? I can't remember. Well, that was that was Alex. I'm talking about Pat's first victory was over Indianapolis, right? In the snow game, right? losing streak to the Colts in the playoffs. Yeah, oh, Colts, that the, Colts got, the Colts got yeah. us a few times, man. Yeah, they did. That comeback against Andy, that being up like 44 to 27, and that don't whole, bring it up. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Been fumbling the ball, the quarterback, and then look, picking it up and running like. It's many memories we got against the Colts that shouldn't is that shoulda coulda woulda type stuff. Um, I mean, again, man, when you when you when you're playing in the NFL, man, it's like it's all a blessing, man. It's all like it, you're on the highest stage of a game that you've been playing as a, since since you've been young, um, and I mean, it just it ain't no way to add it up. I don't care how they say it. I mean, like the it's just one given day. A game plan, a philosophy. Uh, you got to be able to make adjustments. You got to be able to, you know, tackle in space. You got to be able to, you know, sometimes overcome your coaching. I know that don't sound right to everybody, but a lot of times on the NFL level, there are players overcoming their coach, and their coach do one thing, and then in that moment on that snap, you got to make a split decision whether you're going to listen to your coaching and be defeated, or you're going to, like, go with your instincts, ball out, do something extraordinary and make a play and, have, and and might win the game for your team. And not every player got that type of, uh, what is called it, the fear of flight. Like some guys just freeze up and they just, they just go with their coaching and they, they just, they just, you know, and then you got some guys, I mean, luckily I play with a lot of the Chant Bailey's of the world, the Tony Gonzalez's of the world, the Priest Home of the world, the Willie Rofe's, uh, uh, so the, the Daryl Green's of the world. Um, Brian Dawkins. I, I mean, I, I had a chance to play with a lot of really unique players that I know at any given moment, no matter what we were coached to do, given the opportunity to make a big game-changing play, those players always rose up to the moment and made those plays. Um, and I guess I played against a lot of those guys, too. You know, I played against a lot of great guys, too. So, But those are some of the guys that, that I've been on the field with who just – it was it almost made me feel in awe – to get in the huddle and listen to that same voice, that Brian Dawkins, that uh, Daryl Green, that, you know, even some, I mean, Marco Coleman, Kennard Lang, Indy Kalu. I mean, some guys are well-known, some guys aren't as well-known, but, man, the, uh, Jeremiah Trotter, the Axe Man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, man, I just, I mean, I feel so blessed to play with so many, I mean, the uh, Jason Dunn's of the world, like, you know, he backed up Tony for a number of years, but, man, yeah. Jason Dunn, like, when he get his hands on you, you ain't going, like, that sucker was, he was solid, man. He was legit. Um, so I played with, I mean, I, you know, a handful of guys, man, that just was really special, uh, special athletes on the football field. And some of the guys, that, man, I mean, just life has maybe didn't give them the best hand to deal with. 
like we talk about, we can, I mean, Eric Warfield, right? Eric Warfield to me was one of the greatest athletes, but he never got the respect from the league because outside of the football field, it was always so much chaos, you know, going on at his house and with the legal battles and DUIs. And so it was always all these other things. And also with uh, Larry Johnson, right? With the gun charges and, the, you know, cleaning the gun around. The all, all, all this stuff that's not even football. It, it, if they could just get all that stuff out out, out of their system and they could just focus on the game of football and they had so much innate ability like Larry Johnson was just like man I mean he was he was, he, he could have been like the Bo Jackson of our era but it was just so much other stuff that he was just taking per like who cared if coach Ramil said he wear a diaper like that ain't like Joe that ain't, you know you don't wear no damn diaper why you let that man bless grown like, why you let that man bother you man like 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 leave all that stuff you know but they yeah. just couldn't, man. Like those, those, man. Some, I mean, some people got these little cracks and crevices in their personality, and it just certain things just eat at them, and they just can't let them go. And it, and it affects your focus on the field, your preparation for the next game. It affects how organizations look at you. Like, can you handle the stress of being successful, of being paid as a top running back or a top wide receiver, a top defensive back? Um, and then they use all those things, you know, as far as contract negotiations to kind of you know, kind of hold you back and underpay you, and then you feel underappreciated. So, man, that, you know, that chess game that, that Brett Beach is playing with the, the salary cap and guys' contracts, man, I don't wish that on nobody. That's a tough job, man. That's I don't care. I mean, people think that maybe, you know, because he was he's Andy's and he's handpicked and everything, that he got one of the easiest jobs because he, he's been blessed with this, this, this abundance of talent. Man, he didn't walk into this. He found, I mean, he was one of the advocates for Pat Mahomes. He was one of the advocates for uh, bringing Matthew in, um, for getting Chris Jones, for getting, um, you know, um, some of these, uh, 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 Tyreek Hill and some of these guys and stuff, man. So uh, I think he's done a hell of a job, man. I don't think he ever, I mean, obviously because the team is successful, he gets credit. But none of those guys get as much credit as they really deserve for his amount, the, the amount of film and, research they do on all these guys to know who's a great fit, who's going to be a good fit, who's going to help us win now, who's going to maybe need to be let, let go and let them grow someplace else. Uh, and those decisions are made every day, man, and the personnel is talked about in the between the coaches and the, between the scouting department, the personnel staff. Coach Andy Reid does an amazing job, and this is what I think he does better than anybody. We talked about that vision board I got over here. He sets a vision for each year, each team, and he, and he and he walks through it about every single position on the field. He doesn't take any position for granted. Every every personnel at the end of every meeting of every day, the coaches get together and talk personnel. You would think that if there's one position you can skip, it would be the quarterback, right? Like, I mean, that's our guy. He's going to be our guy 15 years. Whether he has a great day of practice or a bad day of practice, he's still going to be our guy. So it's almost like wasted air talking about Pat. But by not skipping over that, it puts an accountability on every coach to realize we are going to talk about every single player on our roster every day. So you better be paying attention. And as a coach, you better be trying to coach them to be better each and every day because when a guy fails on the field, if you know he got the ability, then that to me is a reflection of the coaches. It's not a reflection of that player because you know he got the ability. So if he fails at certain technique or certain responsibility, he's not getting the line right. He doesn't know his assignment. That's a coaching failure. And Coach Andy Reid, he holds his coaches accountable. So uh, it's 
So that visionary aspect of it is something that he does. He's very special at that. And uh, I think that's why he's been so successful at, at you know both here and in Philadelphia. Yeah. Man, he touched on a lot of points. <laughs> I was I was gonna ask you quickly though, how many times has Dick Vermeil cried in front of you? Oh, every day of my life. Every every day. Every, <laughs> no, and I'm not, this is not no lie. Like every 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 speech, conversation, every time he addressed the team on a daily basis, there was something that brought him to tears, whether it was celebrating a guy's anniversary or birth of a kid or was celebrating a guy a milestone a certain player had you know a thousand yard rushings or a 300 yard passing game it would just it would bring on a daily basis it would bring him to tears and it's like everything else when something when something happens that much much it it, it doesn't even, you know after about week three of getting here i realized like is this like i'm gonna cry every day like and printing those guys like yes man just get used to it like it's just part it's like like, you know, you eat every day, you poop every day, you breathe. I mean, it's just something he does. It's part of his his his, his everyday experience. And uh, but he but 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 you knew it was coming from a, a place of love. Uh, and sometimes it came from being mad. Like he would get so upset with the offensive shifts and motions. Like the tears wasn't always a, a tears for out of passion and joy. Sometimes he got so upset with the you know the, the offense. That, like he cried because they were like, man, y'all, I can't believe y'all can't get this right. Like, we've been doing this for how many weeks? And, you know, like, you know, some of that stuff would be like, because he knew that the the end game was like, we might have to get somebody else in here that can do your job because you can't do it. And that made him cry to realize he had to give up on the player. Like, 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 like a Willie Jones or Snacks or something. I mean, we had a couple guys that was always hanging on the roster, like the 53rd person. And when they had a bad practice, it made the scout department realize, hey, we, I mean, the guy don't have it no more, coach. We gotta let him go. And he would go over that film and watch that guy and you're killing me, Jones. You're killing me, like you're killing me, man. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta seal that block. You gotta make that block. You gotta make that read. And uh, man, I mean, young players. He just wanted them. He wanted everybody to work out. He wanted everybody to have a place here. And so, anytime he had a chance to talk about the team, man, he, I had a chance to have dinner. He came to town about three weeks ago. Uh, he comes to town once. Once every offseason, he comes into town for a weekend, and he takes all the old coaches, any coach that been coaching for him here in Kansas City, any uh, medical doctor, any ancillary. If you work for the Chiefs during his time here, he'll come. He'll take you down to Capitol Grill, uh, takes you out, you and your wife out for a dinner, and then all the players that played for him, he'll he'll set up. So this year we did uh, the Rose's, and so he takes you and your wife out to the Rose's. Feature the dinner so we can kind of get the old squad back together. And that's something that's, like, he don't need to do that, but I mean, that's just kind of saying, like, he's just a special guy. Yeah, that's dope. So, did it ever hit you, like, ah, he got me, he got me on that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, like, it's like, like, like listen, I got kids, right? My kids on, on, on command can bust some tears out when they want something. Like, like, I ain't falling for those fake tears, man. Like, those tears ain't, like, man, get out of here. Like, you do what I told you to do. Like, so, for me, like, when he get, when he started choked up a little bit, um, most of the team, we just gonna look around like, man, we, I mean, like, nobody, I don't, yeah, man, after about the third day, you, you want to know, like, you look at the veterans, say, hey, man, does he do this every day? And they be like, yes, don't even, 
<laughs> just let him get through it. He'll choke up a couple times, and then 30 seconds later, it's, he's back to coach. He's back, you know, he just had to get it out of the system, so. That's crazy. Another guy I wanted to ask you about is um, you work with uh, Mitch Holtis. Now, I met Mitch before. He's one of the coolest, nicest dudes. Of, he's one of the coolest dudes I ever met. Is he like that all the time, or it's not a front? It can't be a front. He's too genuine with you. Man, he is so authentic when it comes to his knowledge of the team historically. Um, his love and his faith for the Lord, like he will. I've had him join me on some church zooms, and we talk to a group of men about different things. Yeah. He's been able to, like, he'll he'll talk about a certain subject, and then all of a sudden he's casting Galatians five twenty two. It talks about the Holy Spirit, and those are things in life you want to keep and be around. You want those things to produce um, a great, bountiful. You know, so, so his his love for the Lord is his love for this organization. His love about football. Um, as you know, he knows every mascot of all 1,000 high schools and universities in the, in, the state of, in, the, in the USA. You can name any college, and he'll tell you the mascot in about three seconds. Um, and then also his love for his hometown. Um, I had a chance to travel back to uh, Center City. Um, his dad is still the uh, overseas uh, uh, historical venue back there called Home on the Range. Does a fundraiser every year. Uh, this home on the range uh, fundraiser, and we go and raise money pickleball uh, tournament, and raise money for uh, this historical uh, venue we kept open. So, uh, besides what we do with defending the kingdom, and I know everybody who listens to defending the kingdom, you can always, you know, there's a little, a little, a little, a little, a little dab of faith going into every little. Every time we do a show, we, we try to find a way to infiltrate your mind with a little bit of. Uh, we talk about the kingdom. We talk about the, 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 our, our one and only our Father. We always try to give you a little bit of a, uh, what kingdom really rules are, really a part of. Uh, so we try to find a way to intertwine that with what's going on, what's going on throughout the NFL. Yeah, he is genuine, man. He's, he's a wealth. Welcome. This wealth of knowledge, um, but he loves these players, man. He, he chose it as, he, as you can tell on the air when he's talking about the team. Yeah, um, I want to ask you real quick uh, about you know training camp. Let's get back to training camp a bit. Um, is there any difference with Andy Reid's training camp practices, or has it just been the same since you uh, played for Andy Reid? So obviously, like I said, mine was different because we didn't have all the rules. So not having all those rules was, was vicious. I mean, it was we would we would we would battle like no other. As I go and watch the practices now, there's so many limitations and restraints the NFL puts on the amount of periods you can have contact, the amount of times you can go forward. Uh, the tempo of one-on-one. Tempo even in the offseason, the OTAs and the, the, the mini camps. So everything in the NFL is so regulated. It, 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 there's, there's, there's almost no way for players to separate themselves from the preparation, uh, uh, conditioning level. Um, you, you can't do it anymore. So when you talk about a line assignment. 
understanding what you're supposed to do, there's, there's, there's got to be an added value, added emphasis on having like really smart, handsome players because you're not going to be able to tell what's going to happen to that player when the lights cut on. So, you know, there, there is there is no ability anymore in the offseason um, to be able to to know what a player can do go because you can't go for and so, so a lot of find some different ways to evaluate talent. Uh, so I, I gotta say, if there's, if there's been any foul uh, back or softening of his practice, um, it has to be because the NFL as a whole has put in uh, some restrictions that I mean, just I mean, he's he got to go by the rules. Um, I know when it's time to go, that special cat period is still full. Cool. I know when he says special cat. All buttons get buckled up, you tighten up everything, a little bit extra air in your helmet, and uh, they, they, you get ready to bring it for that special cap here. Yeah. Hey, Sean, you need to Say again, brother. Is it, is, is his a little tough or is that mine? Did you hear the echo? I don't know. I, I had an echo on yours, bro. All right, <laughs> now we got we got this issue where um, my next question to you is um, what's the what's the one thing you most looking forward to this year's training camp like as far as like competition position wise uh, just anything in regards to this year's training camp? Say again for me. Now I'll say what's the one thing that you most look forward to this year's training camp? Whether it's like position battles or just anything in general. Um, I guess it's always position battles. Um, honestly, look at that linebacker position. Uh, that linebacker position is something that's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Like, I mean, we, we, we put ourselves in a, in a situation now where, I mean, the most talented guys are young too. Uh, a guy from Missouri, Bolton, and Willie Gay are pretty much our two most talented linebackers. It's, it's, it's tough having um, those two guys be your, uh, I guess your your most your most talented guys because they're so young. And when you got a guy like Hitchens, I mean, he has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience. But as everybody know, when you're linebacker, after your fourth or fifth year, it just gets your body, man. Your, the wear and tear of a linebacker. It's just a short window. And so now, you know, Hitchens gonna have to rely on instincts more. He ain't going to be able to run and gun and take people's head off like he could when he was in his fourth and fifth year. Um, I, I'm a little bit disappointed. I mean, I mean the Dorian or Daniels of the world, like I expected more of him. Uh, uh, ben Neiman, I, I want to see more growth from him, um, given so much opportunity to play. Um, that, that's the position just personally that, like, eats me at me because I, when I watch the game, I'm watching through the, the eyes of a linebacker. And so if I see a misread or if I see a missed tackle or if I see somebody in space, uh, somebody cut to the wrong place or, you know, you're supposed to be a rat, you're supposed to cut somebody and it turned to number three instead of two weak. Um, you know, I played under Stag, so the defense is very, very similar to, to what I played in Philly. So I know a lot of the, the keys and, and what people are supposed to do. So uh, that's the one position I, I, it eats me up. It eats me up to see – uh, mental mistakes being made at the linebacker position. So I'm obviously going into training camp looking at that position first. Uh, 
it might be country. Hold on, Sean. I hate to interrupt you. Now we have this ongoing rivalry. We, not us, Chuck has an ongoing rivalry with Ben Neiman. Can you give me two positive aspects of Ben Neiman? Just to ease his fears. Just to just to put just to calm him down just a little bit. It don't have to be a lot. It can be short and sweet, but two positive. For Ben Neiman. All right. He's going we into his fourth season. We need this. He's going into his fourth season. And the one thing I can tell you this, I did not. Hey, country, see if you mute, mute yours. I think that's what I'm going to All right. Yeah. All right. So for me as a linebacker, I felt like going into my fourth season was the year that it all came together for me. So my first year, I just played special teams, just like Ben Neiman did. I was a special team monster. They gave me the opportunity to play. I went down as a third down linebacker. So I just studied all the third down defenses, just like Ben Neiman, his second year. Going into the third year, I, I started studying the first and second downs. I was given an opportunity to be a wheel linebacker. And so I just carried over that playmaking attitude into everything I did. But it wasn't until I got to Philadelphia and Coach Spags had a chance to sit me down and really make me understand the like philosophical reasons we were doing certain things on defense. And then I became like almost a coach on the field in my fourth year. But that would end up being my fifth year because I stayed the fourth year in Washington. So, my, so being around a coach that really was invested in me and could make me understand football on a higher level, bring my football IQ up, it made me such a more effective football player. And so I see Ben Neiman. This is going to be his, uh, I guess, his third year under Coach Spags. Um, and being able to be – um, in that in that tutelage stage where he's going to have somebody speaking to him in a in a in a in a in a, in a mentorship in a hey you need to understand football it's not just about X's and O's do what I say I want you to understand the philosophy behind why we're doing certain things why you have to do these things the why matters to to true football coaches the why matters the the, the Gunther Cunninghams of the world and maybe some of the the, the the Greg Robinsons of the world they were just like just do it because I said to do it. If it, if it don't make sense to you, then we'll, we'll worry about it later. But just do what we say do. And, you know, as an athlete, you can only do so much full speed until you, unless you know the why. Spagnola is tremendous. He is so, uh, when I say tremendous, he is one of the best coordinators as far as understanding and being able to explain philosophically what everybody is doing and holding everybody accountable. So some guys can talk the talk, but then they can't hold people accountable. Some coaches can't even talk to the talk. They can't explain it to you. They feel like, like, like I had a, I had a coach when I was in Houston. Uh, I ain't gonna name his name, but it was a coordinator. I, when I asked him who has the you know, cutback and then who has bootleg, he told me to stop asking questions during the meeting. To let him explain it. Da, 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 da. Like I'm like, well, I gotta go out there and play it. So if you don't want, like, if I got questions in my mind and you don't want to answer them. Like, ain't that, we already, we already lost. Like, that, that doesn't even make sense to me. And so it was a, uh, it, yeah, it was a tough situation with, 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 that, with that year in the Texans. But I realized there, there are a handful of coaches that just want to be right. They wanted the respect from the organization. They were actually coaching because they wanted the head coach to see them coaching. They were, they were, they were correcting because they wanted the head coach to see them correcting because they knew that, if the, you know, the head coach had to get another job. They wanted to look good in front of that guy. They wanted other coaches to respect them. It wasn't about really passing on knowledge to the players in hopes that we became better. And so there's always this, 
this this mixture of certain coaches that are just really good, rah rah. They look great. They look like they can coach, but they they they, they really ain't teaching nobody nothing. And then you have these man, the the, the dungies of the world, the uh, spagnolas of the world, um, uh, the Jim Reeds of the world. The Jim, you know, the, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of coaches that are just truly like teachers at heart. And they don't need they don't need none of the extra accolades. They 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 got their respect. They just want to make sure that their, their, their ball players are becoming educated and are, are are using that 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 knowledge to make them better ball players. And so I think we got a handful of those, man. Coach Coach Merritt, Coach listen, Coach Merritt is a baller. He's a motivator, but he knows the, the, the he knows the deep, the defense to such a, a nth degree that if, if if our DBs can just hang around him. And be around him long enough. We'll have we'll have four guys in that secondary that are that are coaches on the field. And you've already seen what what, what happens with Honey Badger, right? He's he's already taken that role as a coach on the field. We just need Thornhill and Sorensen and Sneed and Chavarius. Uh, 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 we we need for him. All those guys just absorb what Coach House is telling them, man. Coach Merritt is telling them. Um, to, to, to as much as they can because that's what defense is about, man. It's guys playing together, playing as a unit. You don't you don't have those individual uh, standouts that you do on offense. You know, on offense, man. Listen, ten get well nine guys can do the wrong thing. As long as Cheetah and Pat is on the same page, you end up with a touchdown. Everybody else can do everything completely wrong, but sometimes you just can't guard Cheetah. And sometimes Pat's arm is just such so, he's dropping dimes in places you can't you can't guard. You know, th- those three guys, man, Cheetah, uh, Travis Kelsey, and Pat Mahomes. I mean, the eight other guys could all yeah, have no clue what they're doing. And you would still find yourself in a ball game at the end of the game based off of just those three guys. That's a, you I don't know any other organizations had three guys that are able to play on that kind of level. As consistent as they've done over the last two seasons um, to win us the Super Bowl and then go back to the Super Bowl, and then even past first year they were playing on an outstanding level uh, when we lost to New England in overtime. So going into a fourth season of that type of consistency, man, it's it, it's scary. It's scary for any defense. Absolutely, absolutely. You're right about that, man. But um, but yeah, about Ben and even man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess I'll cut on some slack uh, based on what you said, man. But he better come with it to get the season, man, because this is a critical year for him. So, <laughs> and I mean, we—I mean, again, it's not like they—they they ain't giving him no free pass. Bring—I mean, bringing in Bolton, man. Like that sucker's gonna hunt. You know that dog gonna hunt right there. So, if 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 anything, if any type of spark you needed in your in your uh, backside to get yourself going, get you motivated, when they draft a guy like that, can make plays. You know, I mean, he ain't coming in to make plays on first. He coming in to be a difference maker. He's coming here to, you know, he, he he's gonna he's gonna push some some people out the door. And so if you don't if you don't want your seat taken, um, you better be ready to turn it up. Like I said, in season four, that's kind of when the, the the general managers and the scouts. I mean, if, if you've peaked or plateaued, or they feel like you can't grow, you can't get any better, uh, then they're gonna continue to bring guys in who they feel like can can actually get better. And so they've done, I mean, two years in a row bringing high, high drafted linebackers in. They have like high ceilings. 
Uh, we know Willie Gay. We, I mean, you can say what you want to, man. He he has Pro Bowl ability, and we know that if he doesn't get hurt, man, he got pro, he can make plays. He's a playmaker waiting to happen. So he got to get him once he get on the field, learn the defense and stuff like that. Um, he's a difference maker. And then we we know we seen highlights from Bolton in Missouri. Uh, that sucker, he stopped you in your tracks like that. We talked about that forty-five caliber. He, he's just like that. There ain't no there ain't no mistaking. Yeah, he don't make too many mistakes, man. When he hits you, you stop. So you like those type linebackers? Absolutely, absolutely. So, bug. Sound like you got something else, man? Well, yeah. You said that about Bolton. So you you think he has Pro Bowl potential too? I think he can grow into it. Let me say that. Let me. Say, <laughs> I was gonna be honest. I think he can grow into it. Um, man, like again, I'm a I'm a kid that came out of the University of Richmond. Obviously, people looked at me. I was a six two. I was I, you know I ran a four four in the combine, so I was fast. But as far I mean, everybody you know I was two twenty. Right, I was 225, soaking wet. I had to put weights in my pocket to make sure I made the weight. For my my coach told me if I didn't weigh in at least 225 every week, he wasn't gonna play me. So I take two and a half, two and a half. I put it in my pocket, put my hands in the pocket because I knew I wasn't gonna get to 225 unless I had some extra weight in my pockets. Uh, so I did that on on the weighing days in order to make sure I could play. So listen, I I I, I, I know that sometimes it ain't where you start at is is you know and that, and that led to a 10 year career. So I don't know what that young man can be. I know he he understands football as far as I mean, you can't teach some things. And, and I played with a guy, and this 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 is a guy y'all might not know. It's a guy is a guy who played linebacker with me at Richmond. His name is Paris Lennon. Paris Lennon played with a number of years with the Broncos. He played with the uh, uh, Detroit Lions. Um, he was one of the most heavy-footed thumpers that I've ever seen. And, and, and when somebody can can play with that type of viciousness, it ain't no. I mean, you, you just as a, as a defensive coach, you can't teach a guy to hit like that. I can I can teach him how to be a more uh, fluid pass defender. I can uh, work on the jugs and scene on, on, on when he has the opportunity to get his hands on the balls to make plays that way. But his 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 ability to to, to, to you know put a guy lights out to. To, to hit something moving and he's a sure tackler, those type of things, man, it's very hard to teach guys. So I, I, I kind of see him demanding a, a role that some, you know, he's going to get on the field. He's going to, because of his potential, he's going to find a way to get on the field. It's the, how ready is he to take care of all the stuff off the field, eliminate the distractions. He's from Missouri. All of his fans, his family, they right here. So I know what that's like. You know, I, I played at University of Richmond and went to the Redskins. I was only 90 minutes away, if that. They was up there. Every, the whole college seemed like they was up at Washington every weekend, all from training camp to the end of the year. Every weekend, we had a club called Dream, a club called Live. It seemed like the whole University of Richmond was in that junk every weekend. And I, I had five and six tabs going every Saturday night at all these clubs and whatever. It was, I mean, again, if you can elim- if you can find a way to eliminate all the distractions and let him just develop himself as a football player and play the game, man, that joke is his is man his is 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 his, 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 his horizon could be phenomenal, man. It just we those are things we just don't know, right? How ready is he for uh, to, to play football with such a successful team? 
um, a team that's going to be a playoff caliber, Super Bowl caliber team uh, for the next, you know, basically 10 decade or so. I mean, that's just a lot to ask for, from a young man who's playing in his backyard. So, yeah, and like Steve Spagnuolo, I, I remember him saying um, earlier, like, I think about a few weeks ago, he was saying that it might take Bolton the men to learn the scheme and all that. And I was like, well, he went down this road with Willie Gay, even though it's different circumstances. So I just feel like, you know, with actual training camp and OTAs and stuff this time, I don't know. He might pick it up a little quicker than what Willie Gay did. So I guess we'll have to see. And yeah, and exactly. I mean, you know what? And that's the thing. I mean, on the media, I know that everybody was giving Willie Gay a bunch of like, it's week six. It's week, like, when are we going to see him play? And they don't. They didn't even put into to account the fact that he didn't have no preseason. Right? He had he had a COVID preseason. Try to, like, you can't learn football off of no Zoom meetings. Like, I don't yeah. care. Like, you got to have bodies, and you got to see how guys are going to react to certain things. Like, the only thing that teachers got to play football is football. And that's the that's been a that's a, that that was a that was back when I played. That's gonna be ten years, a hundred years from now. If you want to get good at playing football, you got to go practice football. You got to put your pass on. You got to hit. You got to shock people. You got to get off tackles. You got to wrap up guys. Like that's the only way to get good at football is to actually play it, right? At a at a, at a you know eighty ninety percent tempo. That's the only way. You don't you don't get good at football by, by watching film and. And, and watching Zooms and having meetings and talking about what it could have. Nah, man, you got to get out there and do it. And so uh, that's one of the, I mean, one thing we, we got to say from, from Willie Gay's standpoint, um, he's going to have a true offseason. Uh, Bolton's going to have a true offseason. Uh, again, they got some great coaches coaching them. Um, the new coach they brought uh, in the town, Ken Flagel, um, he was actually, uh, he coached me for one year at Richmond. Um, and uh, he's been a great – I mean, he coached a bunch of really uh, good linebackers, I think, at the Eagles when he was there. Uh, Hicks, Jordan Hicks, um, uh, one of them and the other guys, the guy who had the brother, I can't remember his name. His brother played for Minnesota. Uh, but both of those guys end up being really good ball players. And so I, I know he's going to teach that linebacker position the way it's supposed to be teach. It's very – you know, again, it's detailed. Coach Spag's defense is detailed. Uh, but, again, it's the why. Once – once you can get away from the verbiage and you understand the why, everything kind of fits into a certain cubby and it's easy to access, uh, you know, in your brain, the different compartments and, and file things away, put defense in different areas. Um, and then you just got to know what you're supposed to do as a linebacker in all those different areas, all these different responsibilities. But, and then after that, you just got to react and go play ball. Um, he's really good at, at finding a way to put all that together and being able to explain it to a guy, uh, like I said, that's that's just what he does. He does a, he does a really good job of it. So uh, players can't they can't they can't hide behind the, the, the they can't in this team players can't hide behind the coach. Some teams I know they ain't getting coached right. There are certain teams that just the coaches they 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 don't coach they aren't good coaches. They just rely on your your athleticism to, to overcome it. Here in Kansas City, when you come to Kansas City, you'll see players that are always, in my mind, I see them outperforming their actual skill set. And one player we can talk about is uh, even with passing up, right? Under Bob Sutton, he couldn't touch the field. Spagnola comes in. He gives them some, some whys. This is, this is what your body can do. This is your skill set. So this is why I'm putting you in here to do these things. And once he was able to 
it became like an aha moment. Oh, okay, that's and, and, and he flourished. Passano flourished in our in our defense here with Coach Spags because he was given the why behind you know uh, kind of put together with his ability, and that allowed him to be a functional um, football player. So we got guys here that can. I mean, we can put pieces together and, and make some things, but you, you you should see most of the guys in our team will be ascending while they're here, and then they might go some places uh, via free agent and stuff, and then you're like, man, that player, like, he just not – he ain't playing the way he did at Kansas City. Well, the, you know, the coaching gets different, man. The philosophies get different. Some guys don't adjust well, so um, – I think we'll you'll see that more times than not. The guys that leave here and go other places um, probably are, are, are not leaving because they're uh, going to be more successful. It's probably to get a higher paycheck, something like that. But on the field, it's hard to think of a guy on the field who has really um, got better as a football player because he left Kansas City. For sure. So, we got uh, you. So you you got to come off mute, cunt. My son is, is driving me crazy. <laughs> nah, yeah, I'm just listening, man. You you made some very good points. I'm now I'm curious to see how the linebackers react with the why instead of just going out there and smashing heads. I like that. I like that. Well, I know um, we do a lot of things. I, I know this defense is always predicated on playmakers, but it's also it's all. I mean, listen, it, it is what it is. This is a quarterback-driven league, and. To, to win in, in football, you have to have disciplined DBs. And by discipline, they don't have to have the greatest skills. That's why we don't – you don't see us going out year after year trying to get the Gilmores, the Jalen Ramseys, the guys that you, you feel like these top-end corners that can lock – like to really play great defensive football, you can't have just one really great corner and have other guys not be you, – you need guys that are, are disciplined in their technique. And when the technique tells you to stay inside leverage, you stay inside leverage because the safeties are going to knock out everything on the outside. They're, they're looking for a ball to be thrown outside because they're coming downhill outside in. But when, when as a cornerback, you allow your technique to get broken down and then you're supposed to stay inside, but, but for some reason you jump outside, well, then that end break is nobody there because everybody voided it because the technique – was for you to stay inside. So, so from a from a cornerback standpoint, you just need we need discipline. So we need disciplined ball players, guys that have the mirror capability of not allowing their technique to be broken down by a uh, offensive weapon. The linebacker positions need to be a cerebral. You got to understand. You got to make the calls. You got to make the adjustments on the sets and the formations, the backfield sets. You got to be able to uh, do different stunts. Um, with the D-line, the guys in front of you to cover up certain gaps you can't get to because of your, you know, sometimes the offensive formation puts you out of the core, and so you have a run responsibility uh, that you got to account for. So if I got the B-gap and then number two takes me out, well, I got to make sure that that defensive tackle, defensive end, get into that A and B-gap so now I can take the C-gap. So that, that type of adjustment and understanding about how we're all involved in the run game and when you're – you know, disengaged or when you have to move out, you got certain calls you got to make to make sure that those guys cover up for you. So when you understand that, you know, that's a lot, that's the rebel game, how we going to stop the run together. But then that, that puts a onus, that puts a, that puts an extra uh, amount of accountability for you to learn your calls, your checks and everything as a linebacker. 
Uh, and then you also got to know when certain uh, motions and shifts happen to change the past strengths. Well, certain coverages go from Rolex to Vegas. We go from white to orange. We go from six to five. But then when they go back in motion, you know, six goes five on shifts. But then when we go in motion, it don't go back to six. Well, it's no way on a football field you're going to be able to hear the safety saying that. So you got to know it. So, so the linebacker is that true jack of all trades. You got to know how to be a part of the front seven, but then you also got to be a part of the back five. You know, like you know, you're you're you're, you're a part of the passing, but you're also an integral part of stopping that run. Um, and so that's what you got to do: stop the run, get to the quarterback, and then be able to make change, make uh, game-winning plays. That's what that's what great defense is about: stopping the run. Whatever you got to do, stop the run. Get to the quarterback, right? Sometimes I got to give you the flat in order to get to the quarterback. Sometimes I got to give up an area or zone just to get to the quarterback. I got to overload a, blood, a, a rush. I got to bring three guys in the A-gap. Whatever I got to do to get to that quarterback, this is a quarterback-driven lead. We found out in the Super Bowl, if you don't get to the quarterback, it's hard to win. Um, and we found out the other side of it too, right? When somebody gets getting to your quarterback, it's hard to win also. So uh, you got to get to the quarterback, and then when that ball is in the air, and you got an opportunity to make plays. Juan Thornhill, Jarius Sneed, Matthew, those are some of the best three guys I've seen. When you talk about ball hawks, when that ball's in the air, it's it's not a this ball's intended for the other team's wide receiver. When that ball leaves that quarterback's hand, that that that's our ball. Every time that quarterback le- that that ball leaves that quarterback's hand, those three guys. Jarius, Matthew, and, and Thornhill, they look at that ball like, and I'm not gonna leave out Sorensen. Sorensen's made some 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 great interceptions. Like he he freaking has robbed Philip Rivers uh enough times to, to pay, pay, you know, like he 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 owe him some money as many times he done picked off Philip Rivers in a, in, a, in, a, in a career. So uh he's done a great job also. But those guys, the playmaking ability from the three guys I've mentioned are uh, they do it at a different level. They, they are they are true playmakers um, on every snap. And so when that ball is released, I, I smile a little bit because, you know, I, every time they, they, they throw a, ball, a pass, uh, it, it's, it's anybody's ball, man. It's anybody's ball. So uh, you got to make a team get into a pass mode. And obviously our team works in all three phases to get the lead, sustain the lead, win the ball game. Yeah. Now, uh, do you feel like – do you feel like our current front seven – is good enough to continue that success with our secondary as far as like um, getting those turnovers. Getting those Man, turnovers. I, I, yeah, I love I love bringing uh, Reed in, uh, the guy from uh, Seattle. I love bringing him in as a tech. I think he's a, a, a guy that can really press. Like, man, again, getting to the quarterback is not always coming off the edge. When you have the guys, in, you know, Nadi's, Calvin Sanders. Reed, when you got three guys that can can really crush that a gap, because it's not about getting through the a gap to get to the quarterback. You get to the a gap because you want to change that line of scrimmage because you don't want the quarterback to be able to step up, right? Quarterback takes his drop five yards, seven yards. You bring off the edge, well then he steps up into a pocket and delivers a clean pass. You want to take your a gap, right? That line of scrimmage. You want to reestablish that line of scrimmage kind of in the quarterback's lap. So you want that quarterback to always be throwing off his back foot. Quarterbacks throw off the back foot, the ball sails, it's interception. It's like the, the philosophy of, about rushing the passer is so like it's 
it, it, it happens so many times that, that it's 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 not child. I mean, it's not. It's it's, it's it's a lot easier said than done. But the, the the defensive tackles recreate the offensive line. Take the offensive line wherever that ball is snapped. Deposit the center and guards in the quarterback's lap. Edge rushers, make them step up. Make them step up when he when there's nowhere to step up, and he make them throw it off his back foot. And that's how linebackers tip balls. Safeties intercepting balls, cornerbacks getting intercepted because when a quarterback can't put that same zip on it, right? They can't put that same velocity on it. That's when balls tend to sail high. That's when receivers, you know, you're looking up and the balls. So it all works together. Um, and then every once in a while to mix it up, you do the reverse. Then you crush the edges and you bring three guys up the middle when they when they think that you're just going to come power rush and bring tackles. Then you. You have those guys go out and you bring linebackers and safeties and stuff up the middle uh, when you got a team, an offensive line cheating, going big on big. So, uh, I mean, like I said, Spags does a great job with that blitz package, that pressure package. Uh, we just got to make sure from a back end, all those guys from a communication standpoint got to be on the same page, knowing their leverage, staying with their leverage, knowing where their help's going to be. Uh, when we double teaming guys, working to the double teams, cutting guys. When we have man coverage, somebody comes, you cut, cut them off, so you drop under somebody else. Uh, all that stuff just got to go. You know, it comes from where you work at it every day. That communication level got to be on a level ten every day, every play. We got to communicate, over communicate, so that we uh, you have that feeling like y'all just that bond. Yeah? When that bond happens on the defensive back end, um, you see some special things happening. Um, you go back to Honey Badger intercepting uh, uh, Philip Rivers in Mexico game, right? Covering the seam route, coming off the seven. You know, he is he with that, you know, I'm in your head or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's just that secondary plan, playing together. It, it's, it's seamless. And, it, and it, it, it frustrates the quarterback because, like, you can't, you can't, you can't beat those four or five guys, six guys when they are all together. There is no – there ain't nowhere to throw it. Ain't nowhere. Ain't nowhere to go to it. You can't. You can't run routes that can beat a, uh, a secondary that's on the same page, that are disciplined, playing the right techniques and stuff like that. So, um, everything they do, as far as shifts, motions, and adjustments, that's why Andy is such a great pass coordinator. Because everything Andy is doing with the shifts and motions is to get your communication out of out of out of out of whack. Right, having. Having a linebacker having to communicate with a corner when he ain't used to it, putting you in some funky shifts in motion to have people who aren't, aren't used to talking to one another having to talk to each other. And so when he have you communicating, and then he figures out every time they see this look, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding between the safety and the corner. Well, now he knows how to exploit that for a touchdown like nobody else. Yeah, for sure, man. I miss I miss our secondary picking out Philip Rivers. That was fun. <laughs> I think that was the that, that was one retirement. Everybody was like, "No, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go yet. Come on, man. Well, I mean, take a pay cut. Do some, one more year, Philip. Come on, one stay, stay one with more. him. <laughs> so, right. Well, Sean, man, um, we, we might went over a little bit of the time, man. You know, certainly apologize for that, but man, I just want to thank you for coming on to our show tonight, man. We enjoyed it. You gave us a lot of insight. You know, 
looking back on the memories, um, 2003, uh, even though it was a tough ending, you know, you gave us all that, man. So just want to thank you again for coming on our show tonight, man. And no doubt, man. You family. Yeah, anytime, man. You reach out. Obviously, we, we got we got a friend in, in common, OC Doc Carrington. So you reach out to him. Reach out. You got my number now. Reach out to me. Uh, love to be on again, man. Before training camp, and then maybe before the season started, then before the Super Bowl. So any, just let me know, man. I always make time for y'all. Love y'all guys, man. I love what y'all do for the kingdom. Uh, as many many podcast guys, obviously um, showcasing their love for the team. But a showcase, y'all got interest beyond just the normal uh, fandom, right? You, you want to know the intricacies of the team. And so hopefully myself, uh, Mitch Holtis, Matt McMillan, all the guys they got on the digital side uh, to bring ancillary uh, products to the, to the fan base. So Kingdom Cast, let's do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And another thing, I got um, to give you my shirt again if you can maybe give me a few more signatures. Because I appreciate the gesture you did at the time I went viral and stuff. You know, I still got that shirt hanging up in great condition with all those signatures from the Chiefs ambassadors and stuff. You know, no um, doubt. We're write that again, you know, set that up and whatever. So, no doubt, hey, man. Hey, Sean, and, yep. My fault. And my uncle, man, I, I got to say something, man, because he got your jersey, man, while we on the <laughs> signature talk. Oh, this your uncle? This your he, uncle, Boogie? Yeah. yeah. The there you go, right there. Okay. There you go, right there. Yeah, man, you need to bring that, man. So this, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't know what, what, what to do, man. So this is what we should do, man. We should, um, you know where I'll be at? I'll be at 119th and Nall at the uh, Red Door Grill this coming Tuesday. Because this coming Tuesday, uh, every Tuesday in the month of June, Red Door Grill has been giving the majority of their proceeds to this place called Nourish KC. And Nourish KC has been trying to find uh, food and resources for families that are what we call meal uh, insecure. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And so they created these meal packages to be able to give them on a weekly basis to try to help that um, that issue out. And so I've, 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 I've signed autographs at a different one every every Tuesday. So from 5 to 6, maybe 5 to 7 p.m., I'll be at 119th and where that town center is, 109th in Overland Park. I'll be at Leewood. I don't know which one it's called, but 119th and all is at Red Door Grill. I'll be there. Boog, tell them to come by with the jersey, man. I'll definitely give them a Johnny Hancock on it. Uh, I got some other some other really cool uh, things I signed. Uh, but definitely, man, one of, um, if, I, if I have a chance, opportunity to see them, I've always been somebody that's very engaged with the community, man. Like, it's like I said, man, man, playing for the Chiefs, playing in the NFL at all, all that's been a privilege to me. Um, I, I take, I, I'm, I'm so humbled by the opportunity to be able to uh, share my, my my stories and my voice and anything, man. Because that's why you build a legacy, man. If you don't ever tell your story, it dies with you. So you got to be able to tell your legacy, tell tell people what you experienced, um, help young guys, and like I said, it was different camps going on and stuff like that, football camps. I, Man, I try to talk to people about the balance and the leg work and the eyes. You got to train your eyes to see the right things, see the flashes, the triangle from a, the ball being hiked to the quarterback to the running back, from the guard to the you know running back to the quarterback. That, that triangle, you got to keep your eyes focused there and see you see flashes. That should take you as a linebacker. You don't ever look at anybody. Um, so just different things like that. Um, you know, my first and second year, I was reading the guards. 
But then, like I said, when I got talking to Spagnola, he was like, look, get your eyes off the guard. You got to read the entire triangle. We, you need to see the ball, the, the quarterback, the back, running backs, and the guard. Everything needs to happen in front of you. It's just a flash of colors. And as those things are happening, that should take you where you need to go. That the, Seeing those flashes of color will take you to your responsibility. Or it'll let you know you need to counter step and go the other way. And when I started to learn how to do that, again, that's when my game became – it just took a whole nother leap. And so I've been trying to tell young guys that. I'm telling guys, like, you don't got to wait until you get to the pros to have pro knowledge. I'm willing to tell you as, as early as you're ready to listen. So – Man, that, that's just an honor for me, man, to be able to get on here with you guys and chop it up, uh, go to different football camps and chop it up with, with, with young guys who want to play the game at a high level. Um, so I appreciate all those opportunities. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, we appreciate, appreciate you, Sean, man. Uh, we appreciate you uh, stopping by and showing us love, giving us a lot of knowledge about the game. Like, I never heard Spags defense really broke down like that, man. We certainly appreciate it. Um Put our put our name on uh, Mitch Holtz's ear. <laughs> All right, this uh, Abby Kingdom. When y'all when y'all when y'all post this up, man, follow me on y'all doing this on Twitter, on IG, whatever. So yeah. On Twitter, Twitter it's gonna be Sean Barber fifty nine. On, on the IG is like Sean Barber seven eight five. I don't even know the numbers behind it, but it's easy. To, it's my picture <laughs> on it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. For whatever whatever the social media feeds are, I send it to me, and I'll go ahead and retweet it with. Uh, Mitch and all the digital people and Bastard Group. I have everybody listening to that thing, man. So let's do it. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Well, that's, that's another episode of Kickcast. That's appreciate another Kickcast, people. Um, we are out of here until the next one. Hey.